Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. Exciting news, listeners. The Freebirth Society apparel store has opened. Head on over to freebirthsociety.com and check out the adorable onesies and toddler shirts, adult tank tops, hoodies, and more, all celebrating messages of freebirth. Again, that's www.freebirthsociety.com. This week, I'm joined by Kristen from Orange County, California, who shares her intimate story of self-discovery through pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. I particularly love Kristen's story because she chose to work with a regulated midwife and created a way to still be the captain of her pregnancy and birth. Kristen also shares about her struggles postpartum with breastfeeding due to her son's lip and tongue ties and speaks to how the postpartum period is a true journey of the underworld. I always knew I wanted a home birth like for several years and then when I became pregnant, I was like, all right, I want a home birth. Like I'm a home, you know, I kind of fell into that category of like, I'm a home birther. So this is what I need to do. Like, these are the steps I need to take to make that happen. And what I realized like slowly over the course of my pregnancy is like, okay, well, I'm kind of just like going almost with the flow of what, what I expect, but what do I actually want? Mm -hmm. Like, what is this actually about? Um, And that's when it started to get really interesting, right? Because then it's like, okay, well, if I could drop all the labels of trying to figure out if I want to fit into this category or this category, if I want to birth unassisted or with a midwife or like, you know, I'm a home birther or I'm, I'm someone birthing unassisted. Like if I let go of all of that, like all of that mental story around, um, what decisions I'm making, what feels right in my body. And I have to thank my, my friend and birth support person. I mean, she's a doula, but she's not a certified doula. And she helped me a lot, like processing that and figuring, like teasing out what was true for me, even if it was different than what I had expected previously or what I kind of thought I wanted. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I ended up being like, okay, well, I want access to a midwife and I really personally didn't care if that was a certified midwife or a traditional birth attendant, but in my particular area, like I just had trouble finding a traditional birth attendant. So that wasn't really an option. So I essentially, I interviewed I think four or five midwives. There was one that I really wanted to go with, um, who is like also a friend of mine, but she's, she's still working on getting her license and she's working under another midwife. And I was just like, that was too much for me to take on. So I kind of ended up going with, um, the midwife that I did end up hiring who was, you know, I was super comfortable with and she, she has a great reputation and I know a lot of people have birthed with her and, um, she has a really, really low transfer rate and, yeah, it would just felt like the right decision for this birth. So 
that's kind of how, how it started, started to unfold. So talk to me a little bit about that process of teasing out and not necessarily falling into any specific category. Um, talk to me a little bit about that, yeah. you know, cause you and I connected pretty close to before you gave birth. Yeah. Um, and I got a little bit of insight into it, but yeah. So, well, I'll talk a little bit just about the, like the, when I got pregnant and, and kind of how that all that whole prenatal period kind of, kind of went. So when I did get pregnant, I would, I knew that like, I wasn't going to do any of the typical medical exams in the first trimester. Like I didn't do, I didn't do anything in the first trimester. I didn't seek any care at all. Um, besides just like resting more, taking care of myself. I was really tired. Um, so I kind of had to prioritize just sleeping as much as possible and just chain, you know, kept my nutrition up as much as I could. Um, and then I started looking for a midwife towards the end of my first trimester. And I just thought, you know, I want a home birth. Like, this is what you do. You look for a midwife, you interview people and decide on one. So I did, I interviewed several and I decided on one. And then I kind of just started in that path, like with the, the, I think it's once a month visits in the beginning. And then that's kind of just what I did. And my midwife knew that like, I really didn't want any medical testing. Um, I think I did one set of labs when I was pregnant and that's more just for myself. Like I'm just interested in doing labs every six months or so. Yeah. And it doesn't so harm I, anybody. Yeah. So I did that. And, um, but yeah, I just kind of went along and I, and then it was so really, did, did my, you decline the routine tests like the GBS and the glucose and all of those things? I did. I also did the GBS test again because like I did it knowing that I wasn't going to do anything about it, but I just like was curious, um, for my own health and like mm -hmm. for my own gut health almost is like, Hmm, do I have this? Like I can test it right now. Why not? And then work on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was negative, so it didn't really matter, but, um, I did that. I did a, uh, anatomy scan at 20 weeks and, Fortunately, my midwife works with someone who is just like really quick in and out. And it was just like a maybe five minute scan. Um, and I don't know if I would do that again. It was kind of like I could have gone either way. And we just, my partner and I decided that we wanted to do it. So it, we did. Was it required for her backup like some midwives? It was not required. She said I could do it or not do it. Okay. And um, nothing so was required. She always, like, I always had the option to decline anything.
technology to conceive and their doctor will not do the procedure if they've been to that country in the past six months. Wow. Yeah. So it's just like, there's lots of scary things in the jungles, you guys. Yeah, I know. So Zico is not the first. Yeah. So I told, you know, when I told my midwife, yeah, like, Hey, we're going to Costa Rica. Like, how do you feel about that? Oh yeah. And she was like, Oh yeah, that's fine. Like have fun. You'll be fine. You know, like there was no concern about Zika and anything else that could have happened. You got to experience what a non-fear-based provider can feel like. Exactly. And that yeah, is such a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I never, like there was never a sense of fear about anything with her, which I realize now talking to other women and listening to your podcast is like, it's not that common, unfortunately. Even with midwives. Yeah. You know? Which yeah, is that's, yeah, exactly. That's kind so, of what I mean. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, cause right. Of course, OBs are, but yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not thinking in terms of OBs. I'm really just talking about mm-hmm. midwives in that regard. Mm-hmm. So during that time, like towards the end of my second trimester, I mean, you kind of start to realize like, I'm going to birth this baby. Like it's going to happen. <laughs> oh my God. It's coming out of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that is going to be a reality. Um, and it's going to happen like soon ish, you know? So I just started thinking more about the birth and like what I wanted that to look like. And, you know, just intuitively like checking in with the baby often. And, and at that point is kind of when I realized like, I'm not going to figure this out in my mind, Mm. you know, like I can't think my way out of this. What are you referring to figure what out? Like I can't, um, so like making all the decisions, like, like if there was a fear coming up, like, okay, I'm going to research. So I know everything about this topic and then I'll feel better about mm-hmm. it. And, and yes, like you, yes, acquiring knowledge and in giving your brain some information is good. But in the end, I felt like actually, you know, I've spent the last five years gathering five plus years, gathering information about birth. Now's the time where I actually need to let go of all that information Mm -hmm. regards. Right. Because, you know, I've worked as a birth doula, like I've worked with women trying to conceive postpartum. I've kind of done a little bit of everything. And when you're, I just felt like when I was in it, I needed to stop reading the books, like stop trying to figure out what this birth was going to be getting quiet, being more meditative, like being in nature a lot more, um, being in my body a lot more. So, you know, practicing yoga, dancing, just whatever felt good in that moment. So I feel like that's when I started to realize like, okay, what do I really want this to be? What is this baby want this birth to be? Like, what is this really all about? And I remember, just at some point, like coming to the place where it's like, okay, I want an undisturbed and autonomous birth. Like that's really what resonated with me. Those two words I remember really stood out. So then kind of to figure out like what that meant for me, I I had a, a session with my doula, who's also like a somatic experiencing practitioner and that's a good combo. Um, oh yeah. She's, she's pretty amazing. Um, I remember I had a session with her and we were going to do some pelvic floor work cause she's also a body worker. 
And we were just talking about the birth and like what I was kind of thinking about the birth. And, and so we started talking about more specifics around how I saw it going. And I was kind of like, you know, actually don't know if I really want the midwife to come at all. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't know if that's going to even be necessary. Yeah. How could you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, so, and at that time, you know, I was talking to my midwife about some of this stuff too. And like looking at some of her paperwork just around like what's kind of to be expected. And, and like, I know some of the laws around like, you know, doing fetal monitoring and, um, well, that's what I was wondering. I should have said this earlier, but what was, because you're already kind of in the world, you've already been to births, you already, you know, mm-hmm. you have your head in the game because of your experience, probably more than most new moms. What was your understanding of being with a regulated midwife and the kind of compromise or expectation around that? You know, were you as tuned in? I mean, did you know about like the 37 to 42 and, and the different rules within um, you know, breach and twins and the different rules within labor that would cause her to, you know, have to transfer you or, you know, the long list of things. Yeah. I did know that going into it. I totally knew that going into it, but it wasn't like until the end of my second trimester where I was like, okay, this could actually affect me and what am I going to do about it? Totally. So that's, that's the place where I was like teasing out like, okay, actually I'm totally fine. If this midwife says, I can't attend because of this reason, or I recommend that you go to the hospital for such and such reason, or I'm going to transfer your care because of this. That's where I finally came to the place where I was like, if that happens, then I'm birthing unassisted mm-hmm. and with my doula support person, because she's not, she's not certified. And she was aware of all of this going on. And she was like, no matter what, I'll be there. So yeah. So did you kind of come up with your partner and your doula what those what those specific things are? Like obviously there's some reasons you would probably transfer, of course, if it right, was like medically course, indi- yeah. you know. But did you come up with that kind of list as a group or was it just a little more no, fluid than that? It was a more it was definitely more fluid and I kind of did some of that internally myself like okay, you know, if my baby came at 36 weeks or 36 in some days or you know, what would I be comfortable with? And again, even in those situations, it's like, how can I predict? Totally. Yeah. How can I predict now into the future Mm -hmm. what my future self is going to feel is appropriate? It's not possible. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like you can't, you you can't really think yourself Mm -hmm. out of these situations. And well, that's where real, real self-trust comes in. Yeah, exactly. And it was just a process of surrender and process of like, can I trust myself enough to make a decision in that particular moment above anybody else making the decision for you? And that's, that's, you know, that's where I think a lot of this comes back to in these conversations is there's nothing wrong. If you want somebody else to make that decision for you, okay, that's fine. But own that, you know, and, and, and licensed midwifery and, you know, uh, OBs are set up to make decisions for you you know, even though that's not technically how it's supposed to go and that's not actually informed consent and all of this stuff, you know, because they are in a position where they have to look out for themselves and it ultimately 
maybe not your midwife, but, but most commonly is even with licensed midwifery, you know, across the country is fairly routine care. You know, these are the things we do yeah. at these times and these are the times that we transfer and these, you know, it's fairly, it's regulated, you know, it's the essence yeah. of regulation. It really is getting into, if you are a pregnant person that is interested in making their own decisions, you know, your story is such a good example of how you can do that even within a system if you are really ready to, like you said, tease it out and figure out, I will make my own decisions and take everyone else's into consideration. But at the end of the day, it's you who's going to decide how you feel if you start leaking at 36 weeks. It's not an automatic yeah. transfer. Yeah, exactly. And I think that has to come, for me personally, that had to come from a really embodied place. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, I come back to like, I feel like the prenatal care that mattered the most or made the most difference in my birthing process and experience and even into postpartum is just how, how much time I spent kind of tending to, um, the physical body and just like doing practices that kept me in tune internally. Right. So any specifics you can I mean, give us? Yeah. So I'm I mean, looking I'm for some, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a long time yogini. So yoga was something that I practiced pretty much every day of my pregnancy. And I'm not talking like a long extended practice, sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes 30, sometimes longer, but nothing extensive, kind of just whatever felt good in that moment that day and meditation practice. And, Oh, something else that I did that I think like helped a lot. I was, at the beginning of my pregnancy, I listened to like hypnobirthing tracks, affirmations. And after a while I was like, I actually don't like some of these affirmations at all. Yeah. Like these are starting to really piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, well, I, I have mean, some gripes. I have some gripes yeah. with the hypnobirthing. I feel like the hypnobirthing model is essentially trying to teach women how to behave in the hospital yeah, system. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, wait a second. It's like, no, I'm not like going to be calm. I'm going to be a yeah, wild fucking exactly. animal. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I was like, wait a second. Like, I actually don't, like, I'm not trying to have a calm birth. Like, right. that's not my intention right. really at all. Like, if that happens, great. But, like, that's not really even a desire that I have. And that is not very common. <laughs> yeah. So I got rid of that and I, I just, like, sat down, got quiet, and I wrote affirmations for myself. Nice. And, and then I recorded them mm. and then I listened to them every day. That's cool. And it worked really well. I mean, for me, it was really powerful. So that was one. And then just being in nature, connecting to the earth, like putting your feet on the ground, putting your whole body on the earth and getting out of linear thought patterns, like allowing myself to daydream more or stare at mm. the sky or, you know, go on a long walk um, all of these things helped a lot. Traveling for me helped a lot, like getting out of my normal yeah. environment and, and Costa Rica is where my husband and I met. So that was like a really special trip to take and just be like totally free <laughs> for a few weeks time. So I feel like all of those things really allowed me to go into the birthing space in a really grounded and intentional way. And also in a way that, that I felt cur 
like courageous enough that if I would have had to make a decision against my midwife's suggestion, yeah. then it would have been okay to do that. You well, know, and that, like, that's an autonomous birth. Right. You know, and I think a lot of people get confused that free birth or autonomous birth means you're alone and that you're not supported. Right. And that's not the case. Of course not. (laughs) Absolutely not. You know, it can, and I love your story because yours was not only with a midwife, but a licensed midwife and you still experienced and chose, and she's awesome too. So she was able to meet you there in that space of you are having a very autonomous, you're the captain experience, even with someone who could potentially make a suggestion against you or, you know, bring a concern to the table or whatever, which I guess anybody on, on the team could. It just that, that, that sense of authority that comes with hiring a midwife, I think can be really intimidating for a lot of people. Yeah. And it, and it implies submission, you know, for a, a lot of people, that's kind of the setup. And so, yeah, I think the word courageous is just perfect because it doesn't have to be that way at all. Yeah. 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 So all this kind of unfolded and I knew like, okay, um, these are kind of like, if I went post-date, I would definitely not transfer if, you know, so I kind of came to this internally with myself. I talked to my partner about it, um, a lot and like did a lot of processing with him. Uh, I'm just, I'm really fortunate to have a super supportive partner. And I mean, I, I don't even know if I want to say fortunate. I like, that's just the way you would not it have is. it any other way. <laughs> I would, yeah, yeah, exactly. I would not to be with someone who would not support I mean, you're, like okay, you're bodily fortunate, autonomy. Yeah, exactly. You were fortunate enough to meet him and he was available, but yeah, you would exactly. probably choose being single if there was no other option. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's how I <laughs> So, but anyway, in in all aspects, I mean, he was fantastic at the birth and, and everything. So we talked about it. And at that point, I was kind of in the place of like, what do I tell my midwife? what do I tell this person who I trust and I like, and like, we have this good relationship going. And, um, I basically came to the place where I was like, I kind of am the type of person where I'm, you know, I always want to tell the truth. Like I always want to be upfront with people. I always want people to know everything that's going on, um, in an intimate relationship such as this, like I'm inviting someone to come to my birth but I decided not to tell her. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) I decided, I decided to tell her what I told her was I want sole responsibility for my birth. I, I basically told her like, I didn't say you're off the hook, but that's kind of what I implied is like, I want sole responsibility. Um, so she kind of had some questions about that and like had some questions about specifics. Um, like, did I want vaginal exam and like, Doppler. Uh, Doppler. Yeah. And that sort of thing. And I kind of said like, I maybe want those options, but like most likely no. You're like, bring your bag. I'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah. Like she's like, okay. So, um, when I come for the birth, then, you know, if you don't want Doppler, then you just decline. And like, I won't ask you again, essentially, unless you ask me is what she said. So how, how does that I guess you'll get to the story and it doesn't sound like she was there that long, but how would that play out in terms of her, you might not have this answer, but in terms of her licensing, isn't there 
requirements around uh, how often to chart fetal monitoring? Yeah. So I think from a licensing standpoint, what she has to record, and this is just kind of coming from my knowledge of like medical world in general, because I'm a licensed acupuncturist. So I have some idea of like scope of practice and all of that. I think she just has to record like patient denied Mm. this procedure. Right. Okay. And, you know, patient, I offered a vaginal exam patient denied. And did she offer you the fetoscope at all or? Well, we used the fetoscope during my prenatal visits. Cool. Yeah. So we used it then. And then the Doppler was kind of only Mm -hmm. would have been used at the birth, but we ended up not using it. So the conversation went well. Yeah. So she was like, okay, great. You know, you know, and, and this is for anyone listening, you know, this is such an interesting piece here that doesn't really get talked about that just because you're with a licensed midwife and they are required by their licensing to at least try to transfer you to obstetrical care that you don't have to do that. Just like with everything, you can decline and say, no, thank you. And you can hear that as a suggestion. So yeah, exactly. To remember. Exactly. Okay. So then you're gearing up for the birth. Yeah. So I'm getting ready for the birth and, um, yeah, it was just, I'll go ahead and kind of start talking more about the birth itself because I I really feel like I kind of faded into labor, if that makes sense. What do you mean? I mean, it's always like, even my midwife after this was all said, like after the baby was born was like, when did your labor start? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> That's like, cool. I really don't know. Like, yeah. So I was, um, like maybe 37 ish weeks. I kind of started just feeling like more dreamy, more like less in my mind. I don't know. It's just more ethereal even mm-hmm. just kind of just like outside of normal day-to-day life. And mm-hmm. I would just, you know, be outside a lot more and I wasn't working anymore. So I had a lot more free time and, um, I wasn't moving as quickly anymore, <laughs> you know? So all those types of things, I was just kind of taking care of myself, resting a lot and getting ready for baby to arrive. And I started just occasionally, I would just feel like waves that were like more than a Braxton Hicks type of tightening or a practice type of tightening contraction. And I felt those like throughout my pregnancy, that was really common for me. And it's just, I think it has to do with like my body type. And, um, I was just always aware of those, but it was like more than that. You know, it was like, Oh, okay. Like this, something's changing. Yeah. Yeah. Like something's definitely shifting. And, um, that would just happen like randomly during the day and then it would totally go away. And, I mean, then it kind of just started happening more frequently and, um, and then there was a baby. Yeah. So then, yeah, that started happening more frequently. And, um, I was at that time, like getting regular acupuncture and getting chiropractic care every week. And, um, I worked with, uh, red raspberry leaf throughout my pregnancy that was like a super potent herbal ally for can, me. Yeah. Can you speak to that? Cause I actually don't know a lot about it and how to use it or like, yeah. I, mean, I know it's a tea, but I just, my friend from Canada, she was actually on one of these episodes, Rachel just sent me a big bag of dried 
red raspberry leaf that she grew on her farm. So now I have this big bag of it. So Amazing. maybe you could speak to it because I know it's a big, like you said, an ally to pregnancy. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of mi- misinformation about it online. Honestly, it's like, oh, it induces labor. Like start drinking it at 36 weeks. It's like, no, that's not how no. herbal medicine works. Like this plant does not induce labor. It's not Pitocin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's a powerful uterine tonic and, um, it's got a lot, it's like full of trace minerals, right. That are easily absorbed by the body. So that's kind of, it's, it's powerhouse technique or it's offering to us. And I started in, there's some controversy around like if it's safe to take during first trimester or not. I feel like that's something like you have to kind of decide on personally. And if there's like a history of miscarriage, maybe you would err on the side of caution and not take it. If you haven't used this plant before, then maybe you would decide to not take it. I had worked with this plant a lot before my pregnancy. And so it felt fine for me to take it in my first trimester. So I started just drinking it as a hot infusion during my first trimester to replace. Um, cause I like totally lost my taste for green tea mm. and I was a green tea drinker. So I used it to replace that. And during my first trimester and then in second trimester, when I was like more active and um, just feeling like warmer overall, you know, pregnancy can make you feel quite warm. I started doing cold infusions. So, so I just, what's an infusion? How do you do that? So an infusion, it's just like, tea, like what people think of as a tea, right? So with a hot infusion, I would just like take, you know, a small handful and, um, seep it for five to 10 minutes and then drink it like you would a tea. Okay. So it's like a, tea that's kind of bulked up. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then for the, for the cold infusions, I would just take a big, um, like wide mouth Mason jar, put mm-hmm. a handful, like a good, good handful in and put just room temperature water in the jar and leave the herb in overnight. Okay. So you out just let out it on the counter out or on the counter. Okay. you leave it out overnight and then strain and it strain and drink it. And you can keep the strained herb and use it again. Oh, okay. The second time you use it, you add hot water to the jar instead of to get time. more out of it. And then are you, so, it's a little bitter, right? Yeah. It, I mean, I, I love the way it tastes. Oh, it really? is good for some people think it's bitter. I, I mean, it tastes like it tastes to me similar to black tea. Okay. There's no caffeine I mean, in it though. No, Yeah. no, there's no caffeine. Um, cool. I'm going to make one today. Yeah, you should. I mean, I worked with this plant a lot. And so did you drink it every day? Pretty much every day, either just red raspberry leaf, or I would add nettles Mm -hmm. to it as well. And you always did a dried herb versus like the tea bags that you can buy. Yes. I always did the dried. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Which I still do postpartum with that same plant. Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. We'll working with that. Um, yeah. So I had been doing all these things, you know, leading up to the birth and, uh, things kind of, yeah, started happening every time I got acupuncture, I was not like doing, you know, a a typical kind of inducing labor type of acupuncture treatment. You know, I was just seeing a friend of mine and, um, he was another acupuncturist and getting treatment for my overall system and for the birth and all of that. So Every time I would get treatment, I would notice like 
I would have some more intense waves that same day or later that night. And that went on, you know, for several weeks really. And then it was in my 39th week that for a few nights in a row for a couple of hours, I would like wake up with these sensations of like menstrual cramping. Right. And it was never really that intense, but it was like enough for me to recognize enough to wake me up and enough for me to be like, Oh, is this happening today? I don't know. And what it was surprising. Like I, I was surprised at how relaxed I was <laughs> during that whole process. I was just like, whatever, like it's going to happen at some point, you know? Well, it speaks, and, it speaks to you being ready and having done the work, you know? Yeah. 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 So that, yeah. And then, like I said, my 39 week, 39th week, it was coming a little more frequently. And then I, one morning I just did not feel well. I was just like so tired. I hadn't slept because I'd had all these waves throughout the night. And I was like, I just like got up super early cause I couldn't get comfortable. And then I was just like laying, laying in bed and, you know, not feeling like eating. And I was like really emotional that day. And I lost some of my mucus plug and I was like, maybe it's happening now, but then like it died off in mm-hmm. several and then a few more days passed and nothing <laughs> so, happened. So annoying. <laughs> I know. And I was just like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And I and really, and that's yeah. why you can't answer the question of when it started, because really there is no, it started when you conceived <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. the whole, like, it started when you had your first period, <laughs> the yeah, whole thing is so cyclical and yeah. yeah, there's no way to know. So yeah, a few more days went by and those days were so like, I loved that time, that time of being like already a little bit in that labor land Mm -hmm. type of mental state where it was just like, I mean, I can remember it's like colors looked more vibrant. Like Mm -hmm. I was, you know, smells were like really intense and I would just like go to the park and lay on the ground for like two hours. And, and yeah, it was just like, so yeah, exactly. It's awesome. (laughs) Exactly. So that went on and then it was like a Friday morning. I woke up and I was like, well, I'm still pregnant. And, you know, so I just like went about my morning and, um, and what gestation are you at now? I was 39 weeks and six, uh, six days. Okay. And, um, I had kind of told myself the day before I had the day before I had gone to an acupuncture appointment and I was just so uncomfortable in the car on the way home, I was like, that's it. Like, I'm not leaving the house. And besides like walking somewhere until mm-hmm. the baby comes out. And, um, so yeah, the day after is when the baby did come out. <laughs> so yeah, it was Friday morning and it was pretty normal morning. I don't really remember what I did or what happened. My husband was home, um, because he typically works from home on Fridays. And we, I was like just feeling tired and we decided to watch a movie and, I was feeling some, some consistent waves, but I, you know, I was just kind of like, Oh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like it probably die off again. I felt like "Mm." intuitively, I felt like the baby's probably coming this weekend, you know? So I felt like maybe over the next two or three days, but then it kind of picked up and it was like, definitely not going away. Um, I still felt like it was super manageable. I was still, you know, eating, drinking, but I remember at some point, and this was maybe around noon on Friday, 
I don't, I'm not really good with like the timing of everything, but, um, I was like, I can't watch this movie anymore. Like I need to do something else. And a few more hours went by and I was just like either in the bed laying down with my husband and, or on the floor next to the bed, like on hands and knees. And at this point, you know, I was pretty vocal and I remember I was just using, you know, eye contact with my partner to get me through and, but I felt like it was super manageable and I was like, this could go on for who knows how long. Mm -hmm. So I kind of let my, um, my doula know what was going on. Then I said, I might need you later tonight. And then I had a friend of mine who was going to also come to the birth, like a very, very close friend. And she was going to stay with me for the first few days postpartum to take care of me and the baby and everything and just help out in general. So I let her know cause she had to drive kind of farther. So I was like, why don't you just go ahead and come over and like, you can always just hang out or like if it dies off, like you can go home or whatever. So she started to come over around two and, um, my doula and I were like just texting a little bit and she's like, okay, yeah, we'll probably come tonight then. Like, that sounds fine. And I had not let, let my midwife know what was going on yet. Just because I thought like, I I don't need anything right now. Like everything's fine. And this went on and I, and at some point I was like, this is actually really fucking intense right now. (laughs) It just like ramped up really quick. Mm -hmm. And, and I was laying in the bed with my partner and I, I hit that point where I was like, Oh my God, like this could go on for a long time. And I don't know if I can do it. And although the irony is usually when you, yeah, when it's that intense, you're probably not going to go on that long. Yeah. In my, in my doula, you know, birth support brain, I was like, oh, this means, you know, this could mean that you're in transition. You're like, you're getting really close. And then I was like, you know, in my labor, whatever, I was like, no, it's, you know, you've got a long, you can do this for so much longer. You're good. And, um, I couldn't walk at this point. Like I couldn't stand physically stand up. So I was like feeling some pressure and I was like, that's interesting. You know, like feeling rectal pressure essentially. And so I was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom and just like see what's happening. So I sat down and I was like, you know, trying to go to the bathroom and I, you know, you push a little bit and like my body responded by pushing a lot. And I was like, oh. And your doula's not there yet. No, it's okay. just my husband and I. And, oh, your girlfriend hadn't made it either. No. Okay. So what so, time is it now? I don't know. Is, like, it, is it dark? Oh, it's still afternoon. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's quick. Yeah, it's four maybe. And so I was like, I'm just going to check myself. I had, you know, I'm just going to like yeah. see what I feel, see if I can feel anything like as awkward as it is and as uncomfortable as that feels like right now. So I did it. I just, you know, put a couple of fingers inside and like maybe an inch inside, I could feel the bag of water. Like, oh my God. Right there. And I was like, I, like I came out, I told my husband, I was like, the baby's coming out like now. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, yeah. that's so fast. Yeah. So then. Cause when it, did they start? When did you turn the movie off? Like, like noon? At noon? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So then 
um, by that time, like shortly after that, my friend did arrive and that was like a godsend because I really needed my husband's like support and, um, eye gazing was like the thing for mm-hmm. me. Like that was the thing that helped. And so he was with me and then she kind of helped, like I did want to get in the water. So she helped set up, fill the tub and that sort of thing. And I, I remember I was just like, I just got in the tub when there was like only two inches of water in it and which was good timing because my water broke like five minutes after I got into the tub. (laughs) And at that point I was just pushing spontaneously and, um, and I was, it was really interesting because I didn't feel like discomfort anymore. I just felt intensity, like intensity of the uterus contracting Mm -hmm. and like my body pushing a child out. Right. And there's gotta be some relief knowing where you're at and that you're at the end. Yeah. So I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is happening. And I think there's relief in being fully dilated. There's like physical relief and like, Oh my gosh, all that opening that had to happen is like done. Like that's open now. Um, and I remember at some point my husband was like, do you want me to, like, should I call the midwife? And my intuitive hit was just like, yes. So he did. And I didn't really think, I kind of thought like she probably will just make it after the baby mm. arrives at that point. I didn't really know like what was going to happen with that, but yeah, I was just pushing. Um, and what about my, the doula? Did she, she was also, she was on her way too. And they both arrived around the same time. Actually, mm-hmm. they arrived around 6 PM and my son was born at like 627. <laughs> that is a really fast labor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I was, so I, I would say I was very leaf girl. <laughs> I'm going to go I, make I, that right now. <laughs> I would say I was pushing for like 45 minutes to an That's hour. Awesome. Maybe. Not long. So you started spontaneously pushing with pretty much the bag of waters opening. Yeah. So I mean, I was pushing maybe for one or two contractions, like before the the waters released, and then um, they released in the tub, and it was clear. So I was like, okay, you know, I don't have to, Work. you know, because it, yeah, it's interesting because you're like really out of it, but you're not right. Mm-hmm. So the way. Hor- the way hormones work during labor is like, you can be really attentive to what you need to be attentive to. Mm-hmm. Right. You can totally know what's happening with baby and body without taking totally other things into considerations. It's kind of painted obviously in media and stuff. So inaccurately that you just like lose your brain and go crazy. And actually women are quite perceptive and quite insightful and, and very capable of, saying yes or no, you know, if, yeah. if they need to. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, my, my, the midwife and my doula arrived around the same time and I had been pushing for a little bit at that point. And, um, I mean, I was near, I would say near crowning when they arrived and I, was in the tub. My partner was outside of the tub. My doula was kind of like right behind my partner and my midwife came in and she was just, you know, really quiet, super respectful. She knew like what I wanted. So she sat kind of at this table across the room and just like observed and 
she asked me once, like if I wanted to listen to fetal heart tones and I just said, I actually don't think I responded, but I like just kind of was like, I don't know. Somehow I communicated that that Mm -hmm. was not happening. And I just kind of like, I don't know. I just, you know, I just did it. And I would say like, okay, like every once in a while I would say like, okay, yeah, I feel that it's really burning right now. And like the baby's head is going to come out. And then when the baby's head was out, I was like, okay, the head's been born. And then my husband got in the water with me. And then, um, with the next contraction, you know, the rest of the body came out and, and I brought him up to my chest and, um, and yeah, she, my midwife was like taking some photos for us, which is something that I had like expressed that I wanted. Mm. And, um, at that point I didn't notice, but my midwife noticed that the cord had had broke, like broken most likely like as he was being born or as I brought him up, I'm not sure. Um, obviously that's really rare and I mean, it could have gone so differently, but she noticed and clamped it right away. And I, and I didn't notice right away. I'm sure I would have given like, sorry, clamped it on the baby's end or on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because essentially the baby was losing blood. Right. So, um, that happened and looking back on it, I'm like, and I watched, there was like a birth video so I could watch the, Mm. I watched the birth happen. And I was like, that, you know, could have been a real fear inducing thing. Right. Like, well, and that's why she was there. Yeah. Seeing your baby lose blood and like seeing that happen. But what's so great about her particular care and Mm -hmm. like, is that, you know, it was just like a thing that happened. Yeah. And it got handled and there was like nothing to be afraid of. Right. And the baby transitioned well and stayed with me the whole time. And, um, yeah, it's like, wow, this is what it can actually be like. This is what good support can look like. Yeah. yeah. So. Right. Cause if she hadn't have been there, did you have a clamp? I didn't have a clamp because we were going to burn the cord. Right. Yeah. So I feel like that's probably why she was there. Totally. And that's, yeah. And so then, yeah, she, after that, I got out of the tub, dried off, got into bed, you know, did the whole skin to skin, latching on. The placenta came maybe 15, 20 minutes after. Um, And I just kind of, yeah, I just kind of squatted on the bed and, and pushed the placenta out. And I had a friend picking it up to encapsulate it for me. And I like wanted to see it and, you know, yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. I think I took a piece of it and like just to put in my cheek right away. Although I didn't really have a lot of bleeding. So, or, you know, I had a normal amount of bleeding. Yeah, but you're an acupuncturist. You have to do it. (laughs) Yeah. But I was like, I have to try it, you know, that's funny. So So where did did you put it in your mouth in the side? Yeah. I just put it like, that's what my midwife recommended. I was, I was thinking of eating it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like, no, just put it inside your mouth. So I, I just put it in, in my cheek. I think like either the size one, of a quarter. Yeah. Just a little yeah. chunk. Yeah. Just a small piece. Ugh. <laughs> it does, I mean, it, the consistency is odd and yeah. I, it's like fish. That's what yeah. I think of. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was fine. Yeah. And yeah, my doula made food for me and, um, 
and yeah, that was kind of, that was that they left a few hours later, I'd say. So did he latch while they were all still there? Yeah, he did. He did. And at that point I didn't know that he had a tongue tie or anything. Um, did, does, doesn't she look at the newborn exam? She did, but again, like in all her wisdom, she's like, I, I typically don't say anything unless, mm-hmm. cause it could be fine. Mm-hmm. So, um, with the newborn exam, like we, um, we delayed that quite a bit. And then I think my husband was like really involved in, mm-hmm. in that, you know, like in doing all those things. So, mm-hmm. Okay. So let's pivot to your postpartum because you've had quite the, quite the journey. Yeah. I mean, it's been a lot of ups and downs overall. Like my physical recovery was, was, um, pretty good. And I had set a lot of things up before to support that. Like I had made a bunch, I had made a lot of food and broths and I had like asked people to bring food and I had, um, I knew I was going to belly bind and I got a vaginal steam chair that I had set up. And, um, how often did you steam? So I didn't start steaming until the bleeding stopped, which I don't really remember, but I think it was maybe like two weeks or so. And so then I started steaming. Uh, I mean a good, at first I was steaming like almost every day if I could. For how Uh, long? For... I tried to do about 30 days in a row, like 30 days. How long per session? Oh, per session. I mean, baby pending. It was like 10 to 10 to 30 minutes. And I forgot to ask you with your birth, did your perineum stay intact? Uh, no, I had a small, a small tear, pretty, pretty clean, like edges tear. And how uh, was the healing of that? Do you think the steaming helped? I think it helped a lot, like, cause I did the sits baths as well. And I always felt better after the steaming than I did after the bath. Hmm. So I kind of dropped the baths and did the steaming instead. Um, so yeah, that helped a lot. And then I was taking or like I was taking herbal medicine, um, that I'd gotten before and I just kind of gotten some basic stuff from a Chinese herbal medicine perspective. And so that all went pretty well. The challenge was really with breastfeeding and with, um, my son, my son's tongue and lip tie and like navigating that process in such a vulnerable time. And like in going from, you know, no medical intervention at all to like considering doing this medical procedure and then like doing this medical procedure and yeah, I did ended up doing it twice. What is with lip ties? It's like trending. Yeah. It's a thing. Like it's, but it wasn't like 10 years ago. No, I think. And I talked to my doula like a lot about this recently when I was having a really hard time. And it's, I mean, it's, it's like a thing it's bigger than it's bigger than what we can do in our personal lives to like avoid Mm -hmm. certain situations. Right. So I think as you and I were speaking to earlier, it's in a way we're losing our ability to just have normal biological function 
as humanity, especially in Western-centric cultures, right? We right, are like so... are we seeing lip ties happen in Africa and India? I don't know. Well, so here's, here, here's kind of what I think about. Like, yeah, maybe that's happening there. And most likely in those more indigenous community-centered village-type places, if that is a concern, it's like there's a woman who like had that happen to her and like knows how to feed that baby. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, I did this and this, or I took this medicine or I like went and saw this particular, you know, shaman or Mm -hmm. practitioner or whatever it was, or I had my baby fed by this other woman Mm -hmm. or like I did this, you know? So like we're, that's just not how it is here. Like that's not how it is in Western centric culture where we, value the individual more than the collective. We, uh, we value our privacy and like our, Mm -hmm. you know, our autonomy in the sense of like, everyone's kind of doing their own Mm -hmm. thing, like pursuing their own goal. So I think it's probably happening in other places, but I think it's being handled differently and it's not really, um, well, like yeah. how, like how morning sickness isn't in every culture. Yeah. You know? exactly. It's like, there's definitely some interesting thoughts there. Yeah. So he uh, had a lip tie, which and a tongue course, tie and a tongue tie, which of yeah. course affected his latch and breastfeeding. Yeah. I mean, he's always been able to latch on. It was just that first week of breastfeeding. I mean, I was in excruciating pain. I had bleeding nipples, cracks. Oh. I mean, I was like having to cope more with that than like I had to cope during labor, obviously. Oh, yeah. Right. Because that's like, a, that's like a physiological pain signal to your brain. That's saying like, something's not right. Totally. Yeah, different. And the emotional side of it. And that this baby has to eat. Exactly. Exactly. All so of it. stressful. So yeah, just navigating all that was, has been really challenging. So we did the tongue tie revision twice, but the lip tie was fine after the first revision. Like that's been fine since then. Um, but yeah, the tongue tie is, is more complicated and more complex. And I feel like part of it, like it's, I mean, I think maybe in 50 years, we know why it's happening more, right? Like if you look back in 50 years ago and they're like, oh yeah, that particular chemical was causing birth defects in babies. Mm. And now we don't use it anymore or Mm -hmm. something like that. Like there's gotta be some environmental toxin or, I don't, I mean, I don't know something in the food source. Right. Cause the whole theory chain. that it's the M what is it? M T H R. Yeah. The M T H F R F R gene. Um, I mean, do you have that? Well, I don't know if I have that. Okay. I've never tested myself, but I know that I, you know, even before I was pregnant and during my pregnancy, I did not eat a lot of foods that are fortified with folic acid. And before I was pregnant, I was taking methylated folate. So even if I did have that genetic mutation, like I was already taking precautions right. against it. Mm-hmm. And I continued to take methylated folate during my pregnancy too. It's so, just so common. It's, I mean, I yeah. feel like I hear about it every day. Yeah. It's like, I mean, the bigger question is like that we're not really asking. Cause we're, we're asking the questions like, how do we fix it? do just cut it, just cut it, cut it out, Right. you know, take it out. But what we really need to be asking is like, why is this happening? Of course. 
yeah, it's our whole, our whole situation, our whole system with the Western world of why, you know, for, for why we have so many alcoholics, we put up AA on every corner, you know, but no one's trying to prevent alcoholism. It's like, maybe you've heard that one of my favorite little, like, I don't know what they're called, fables or something that I read when I was in India was um, all these cows were going up to a bridge and jumping off the bridge to their death in this little village in India. And so everyone in the village is trying to put trampolines down and they're trying to figure out how to re, you know, um, what's the word, resuscitate the cows. And they're all like, why are these cows jumping? Why are these cows jumping? And nobody's going up to the bridge to find out why they're jumping. You know, it's all like, what can we do to fix it? And yeah, it's, I love that analogy because it's what we do to everything. Yeah. We're not yeah. trying to prevent cancer. We're trying to treat cancer. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, I mean, and I've just had to had to be with that and had to be with the fact that, like, it's so hard. It's so hard for me, you know, I'm and, and it's so also just hard to be a breastfeeding woman. And I just didn't even, that didn't register for me before having a child is like that, breastfeeding is still not the norm Mm. in our country. It's really not. And that, it just blows my mind. Every time I think about it, I'm just like, that's so crazy. That's so wild that like we are human animals and we're like not feeding our young in a biologic, in the way that our biology is set up for. We're like giving them cow's milk. Yeah. And and that's not to say like, I, after I'm like so humble in my process and in this whole thing. And like, if you're giving your child formula and like, Oh, of course. Like, but but the the industry of it that intentionally replaced breastfeeding is what I'm referring to. Yeah, exactly. Not not the like choice to do that. That's yeah. Yeah. That's really, yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm at too. So, um, yeah, it's just, Honestly, I, you know, I see postpartum and I've talked to women about postpartum just as this, it is like a dark goddess journey. Like it is, <laughs> it is a, it is an underworld process, Ugh, right? It is yeah. a journey into the underworld. It is a journey into the aspects of yourself that you like totally thought you worked out or the wounded child of you that you Mm. thought like I got this you know like I'm the the nurturing adult now and Mm -hmm. like I I can do this and it's like no I'm not yeah (laughs) it's just like you've got yeah and you it's it's this really alchemical process of like what do I need to attend to in this moment and what part of myself needs like needs like some cultivation that I can make the best decision for my child, for myself. And, and yeah, it's just been really intense. And well, like you said that we are losing these biological functions as a society and yet still trying, you know, a large portion of us are still trying to maintain it, but living in this completely separated from nature world and then dealing with the depression and, and severity of that pain that we are yeah. so disconnected from these biological functions and that, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm, do people who live in communities and villages have breastfeeding problems? I've re- I mean, I've started to read more about it just because of this whole process. And I've read a couple interesting articles about like, 
actually women in these um, more village and indigenous type of cultures, they have a lot of breastfeeding problems. They have all the same breastfeeding problems that we have here, but they handle it Mm. completely differently. They expect to have problems, <laughs> right? They expect they don't to have, have to have it all together and be back and to work ex- at four yeah, weeks. They, exactly. They expect to have problems and they know that they're going to have help. Mm. They like know that like, yeah, if you're going to breastfeed, you're probably going to have trouble with the baby latching on at some point, And then you're going to like ask some other woman what she did, or you're going to like Go ask your what a mom. Crazy idea. Or ask your aunt or something. Yeah. You know. So it's I like I know that they in in indigenous cultures you see a lot less stillbirth and a lot less yeah. l- loss in general. So I wasn't sure about breastfeeding. So I mean, I think you see similar issues. Maybe not tongue and lip tie. I don't know. This right. is kind of like all a new, more new thing mm-hmm. that's happening. Um, but yeah, the, just the support systems that are in place are different. And I have to say something about the lactation consultant model. And there are a lot of great lactation consultants out there and they can be really helpful. And there's some limitations in what they can do. And they're also operating often under a medical model. Yeah, absolutely. Um, whether it's, you know, weighed feeds, which is kind of medical. And the pumping, this whole pumping industry is like, it's not really a solution for feeding at the breast. Um, but I feel like we kind of take it that it is like, mm. Oh, well you're breastfeeding. So just pump. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, well, that's not like, yeah, that's great. Like I can pump milk out of my body and then bottle feed it to my child. That's better than nothing. And like, that's not feeding at the breast. Mm-hmm. Like there's a difference. And I feel like people don't recognize that there's a difference. There's not a lot of research about the differences in whether it's like, the physiological benefit now or in the future for, you know, jaw development Mm -hmm. and bonding, like psycho-emotional development. Like there's so many layers of it. You cannot, you can't even research that stuff. Yeah. It is a very, very quick replacement. And as a, as a birth keeper who has had many women choose to work with LCs, I've seen them do more harm than good. I've seen them, you know, leave, the mother way more confused and with all this conflicting information. And that's not necessarily their fault. It's because they're getting information at the hospital. They're getting information from their LC, their midwife. You know, I mean, it just, it's, it, it, it can get very heady when at the end of the day, some of this stuff isn't at all. Yeah. I definitely feel like I got some bad advice, really well-intentioned, right? Of course. Like super well-intentioned and coming from a place of actually a lot of experience, but it just, some of it wasn't helpful. Um, some of it I think led to me developing mastitis and a breast abscess and you know, it's like, okay. Um, at this point, so I not seeing any lactation consultants anymore. Um, I'm just kind of dropping, you know, I take all the advice into consideration and I'm like trying to find a middle ground of what's actually going to work in my everyday life. Right. In in a way that I can like maintain my breastfeeding relationship with my son, be sure he has enough to, to eat and like not be spending my entire day doing that. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like right now? I mean, right now as like in this past week, I mean, it's always changing, but, um, I'm pumping more than I would like to. Um, so I'm pumping at least three times a day, sometimes more because he's not He's just getting not that, enough. Yeah. He's just not, 
that efficient at mm-hmm. like he was more like right after the tongue ties, it seemed to be going great, but then like it kind of, we kind of slowly regress and, um, it's just such a, it's so dynamic, oh, right? It's gosh, so, it's so, so dynamic. It's changing all the time. And so that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm also working again two days a week. So I'm pumping for that reason too. Sure. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm just embracing that pumping is going to be part of my reality, even though like I didn't, I knew I was going to pump for work purposes, but I didn't yeah. expect to be pumping like with him us. right there next to you. Yeah. With like, okay, I'm going to pump and then feed you this milk. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're doing right now. Well, and it's interesting, right? Cause you're doing everything right. I mean, and you're producing milk. It's yeah. kind of, it's kind of whatever he's going through. Yeah. I mean, right. And I think, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's something to be said or something that I will discover. I'm not sure. I'm kind of like in the process with this all right now uh, around, you know, what is, what's, what's our relationship like between him and I, and what's our previous, like, what are we coming into this lifetime with? And Mm -hmm. like, you know, what does that look like going forward? So yeah, that's all there and present too. So what does your support system look like with currently? Yeah. And and postpartum just navigating the, I mean, you know, this is such a common story and so hard and it can be so isolating and so self-deprecating and, yeah, and just painful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even though it's so common, which yeah, if we were living in some village and there was like circles to talk about this. Like, have you gone to breastfeeding support groups or? Um, I actually have, have not, I've intended to, but I've never made it. (laughs) But what I, so in the beginning, I'll kind of just like talk a little bit about, um, all the postpartum support I had because I did have some things in place. So I had a postpartum doula coming about twice a week and someone I know and like I'm friends with. And so that was really helpful. Um, and I, like I said, I prepared all the food and, um, I wasn't expecting to need as much lactation support as I needed, Mm -hmm. but I like knew people that I was going to reach out to if that came up. So when it did happen, um, I had someone come over and, you know, that's when I kind of realized like, okay, I really need to consider doing something about this whole tongue tie thing. And then, um, I met with that person once or twice and then got the revision and I thought, okay, things are going better seemingly. And then it kind of four weeks later, it kind of started regressing. And so I had, um, a different lactation consultant come over and also, I mean, it wasn't that helpful in the end, but, um, I did end up going back to see the pediatric dentist that we had seen before and like discussing it with him and then doing a second revision to see if we could get like a little more, a little more mobility in the tongue, which we did. And at first it was going great. And then like the slow regression again. And I've like the support I've gotten around the tongue tie that's been the most useful is just like talking to other women who have been through it. Right. Ultimately, ultimately that's like what's needed. That's kind of what I meant. Like, did you, do you have like a woman's circle that you can just like ugly cry to and be messy with and yeah, I definitely have that. 
I definitely have that in my life. And I definitely have been reaching out to other women in particular who are like going through this right now, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's like so different for everyone. Like some are, you know, on donor milk. Some are like, oh no, it worked great for us. And it's like getting better every day. And yeah, so it's like all over the place really. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, I've had a lot of, I, I've had a lot of support and I have like a strong group of women in my life who aren't necessarily like having children right now. Some of them have children, some don't, but that's probably the place where I've gone to be like, whoa, like this, this shit is really hard. Mm -hmm. And, and they also like have that wider vision with me of we're like us as women going through this and whether it's in birth or postpartum or like having these experiences where the biology isn't really working out or, you know, we're seeing the consequences of our actions for the past several generations. And that's, that's causing a lot of collective grief. Mm -hmm. Right. So then you kind of go through your own personal grief process and then you have to tease out like, when am I grieving for myself? Mm -hmm. And when am I grieving for all of us? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. I feel you sister. So I really do. And so how do you feel four months out of the birth? Do you feel just so proud of yourself that you handled it like such a boss? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I like in those beginning weeks, I feel like I, I mean, I really was in kind of that birth high for Mm -hmm. several several weeks after the birth. And then with the revisions and the breastfeeding challenges and like the day to day, I would, kind of wasn't thinking about it as much. And now I kind of feel like I'm in the place of like, okay, I've like integrated this experience into my consciousness and like into my, into my embodied presence. And, um, yeah, it feels like, it feels like in some ways, yeah, of course it went like that. Of course, of course, you know, I can birth a baby like, well, right, but in light of your breastfeeding difficulties, I think it's super important to really own those victories and own like where it was yeah. quote unquote easy and where it was this natural biological process, you know, because you gotta hang on to those when you're Yeah, exactly. And that's you're exactly right, because I feel like I've gathered so much strength throughout this process because of my birth. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right. I feel like, cause not of course it went that way because it could have easily not. Yeah, I know. That's where it's just like, like so the tricky, and tricky in my mind is because sometimes I feel like, Oh, of course it went like that. And sometimes I'm like, no, of course it went like that because there was some foresight and like some mm-hmm. effort. Yeah. I mean, it was such an ecstatic experience really. And that's, I think, my biggest intention was like that it would just be really an ecstatic experience. And by that, I don't mean like, I mean, it was super pleasurable in moments, but that's not really like what I mean by that. I just mean like a fully vibrant, alive, like sensation. Spiritually ecstatic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's how it was. And, and now I'm on, you know, and now, and, and I've been studying Tantra for a long time. And with the understanding of Tantra, it's like, you go in one direction, you know, you go in that full ex- place of ecstasy and you're also going to ex- experience the com- 
complete opposite, which is mm-hmm. agony, right? So I feel like in those moments when things are so challenging with breastfeeding and especially in like the early months when it was just so hard and I was grieving so much, that's the agony, right? And mm-hmm. actually both of those can be ecstatic. Totally. Yeah, that's like, beautiful. Well, and, and and sometimes it happens in the complete reverse for women, you know, where they'll have the like destroyed birth plan and the C-section and, and all of this grieving and then have this fairly easy postpartum that, you know, breastfeeding is just a simple thing yeah. and, and it kind of goes in this other, other swing. But I really like what you said about the, the postpartum being this like underworld is that is such a yeah, a, a wise way to think of it. And I think for women who haven't experienced postpartum yet, you know, to allow, to create some spaciousness there that it, it, it can be that, and it may be that for, for you. Um, well, I think if, if it's not, then there will be, right. It's I don't happening. mean to sound like, you know, <laughs> well, like, I think it can happen in birth too. Exactly. You know, and for that's, sure. It's like some part of your mothering. Yeah. We're not getting out of it. <laughs> you, you just don't get out of it at life. Yeah. Like part of yourself does not come out Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Like you're not supposed to, like you are supposed to die Mm -hmm. that moment in some moment. I can't tell you when it's going to be. Yeah. It's different for everyone. It's different for everyone. And that is, you know, like I said, that is the, the journey to the underworld or like the journey of embracing the dark goddess, which is like a, a part of our cultural narrative that doesn't really exist anymore. But it so does. Yeah. Because no one's talking about it. It's been exiled, right? So it's all of us have to do that work to, Mm -hmm. to bring her back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let, let her just be here because it's, you know, I think there's so much power in naming things and yeah, allowing, allowing space for it. And we know in this, you know, working in the birth world, how dark postpartum can be and feel and, Yes, it's temporary for most people, but it's it's still a powerful, powerful space to embrace and um Yeah. 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 And I mean you gotta have it all. Yeah. There's a lot I could say about like postpartum depression and, and all of those things, but well, yeah. that, was, that was kind of my last question was, did you struggle with postpartum depression at all? Like that with, with a I mean tricky road and things not going Yeah. I mean the way I kind of like to look at it is like and I've told this to people I've worked with in the past who are like having certain specific challenges. It's like, yeah, I mean, if you weren't depressed, that would be kind of awkward. Like that wouldn't be normal, right? Like if you responded to a certain situation, you know. Well, there's a difference between sad and grieving and like that hopelessness stuck space of true depression. Yes, I totally, and that's what I was going to get to. So there's a difference between like, being in a clinical depression, right. Where there's clearly like, you need some type of help, whether that's, you know, therapy or even using drugs or Mm -hmm. whatever is going to help you in that moment. But then there's the feeling of like, yeah, I feel really sad and depressed about this thing, but it like doesn't consume you to the point of danger. Yeah. Of a clinical depression. So I feel yeah, yeah, I, I don't feel like I, was depressed in the sense of like I had clinical postpartum depression, but yeah, I mean, hell yeah. I felt depressed at times. Like, of course. (laughs) I know, but it's so crazy how many, like there's no space to say that. I mean, there is, we're creating that space, but 
you know, how many women feel like they can't, they are so shut down by the healthy baby, you know, comment that there's no, there's no, it's like this weird guilt trip to admit that something is painful because you're, I don't even know what the narrative would be because you're supposed to be so grateful. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've been super like blessed to have. So I'm, I'm going to mention my birth doula again, because she's so great and she's writing or she's actually already written and it's being published, um, in a couple of months or it's coming out in a couple of months. It's a book on the fourth trimester on the postpartum period. Mm -hmm. And she was just like such a great support around helping me figure out what I needed to set up. And like, she's just also totally rewriting the narrative around postpartum care and like what it can look like. So, um, I don't know, maybe I can give it to you like for the show notes or something because it's such a great resource for women. Is, is the book out or it will be soon? It's not out yet, but it will be soon. You can pre-order it now. What's the name of it? It's called the fourth trimester, um, and the author, Kimberly Ann Johnson. Okay, cool. Yeah. And she has, yeah, she's also done a lot of podcasts on postpartum care and like talking about all the stuff we're bringing to the table right well, now. Maybe I'll, I can have her on here too and we can yeah. talk about it. Yeah. She would be a great resource. Awesome. Um, so cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. Was, yeah. I really, I really appreciate the polarity, you know, of, of, the easy parts of your story and the hard parts of your story and that it all, you know, just creates this ecstatic, spiritual, powerful experience that yeah. I, I do think you were prepared for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Thank you for having me on and all the work you're doing. It's, um, it's so great just to be getting this, all these like varied stories out. No, it's right? I've been very like, pleasantly surprised by yeah just how how much variance there there is and just excited to keep celebrating it yeah and for your process to unfold too I'm here anytime thank you I know I gotta start preparing for the underworld (laughs) 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 all right girlfriend thank you so much that's it for today everyone join us next week for another episode of the free birth podcast Thanks for joining us, and remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.
that's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.